0: One of the central facets of discipleship is a covenant to mourn with those who mourn. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Do we have any obligation to judge, criticize, or condemn when we see another suffer? A bitter reality of our mortal experience is that bad things happen to good people. May we come to understand, however, through Job, the refining and purifying power of our trials. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up.
1: Some of the things that help me trust in God's timing are the experiences that I've had in my life where I didn't know how things were going to end.
2: Through experience I know that His timing, though it's not what I might want or what I think is best, will be greater. And I know that it always is. If we have faith, if we know that we are in the hands of God, then the good answer will come to us. So we need to be patient and we need to trust in His timing.
0: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here today. The topics of our discussion come from our studies of the book of Job. And the first topic is, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And the second topic is, our covenant to mourn. So to help us with our discussion, we wanna first welcome back one of our scholars, uh, Melissa Inouye. Welcome, Melissa.
3: Thanks so much for having me again. It's really fun to be here.
0: Uh, Melissa is a historian with the church history department and seated next to her is our special guest for today, Tracy Rampton. Tracy has a master's in public policy from Georgetown and lives just outside of Washington, DC. And she is a management consultant Uh, and is in the thick of raising four children. I bet that keeps you pretty busy. Definitely keeps me busy. We're excited to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. So let's get into our first topic. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Um, Melissa, do you want to give us a little bit of historical and literary context to Job?
3: Sure. Um, The way that the book of Job is set up is it's a frame story in prose. So the frame story, you know, talks about Job. It talks about this kind of wager between... Uh, God between the adversary and, um, and then in the middle there's poetry which kind of gets into the philosophical meat of the book of Job which is how can uh, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God permit a world with such horrible suffering and what Elder Renland has called infuriating unfairness. I think it's a really relevant book. Um, for a lot of people. And if you usually tell someone like, my favorite scripture is the book of Job, they usually say like, so what has happened in your life? (laughs) But I think we all know why the book of Job can be such a refuge. Mm
4: -hmm. And I actually, along that, I feel like that is the standard by which we measure all suffering. Like we Mm -hmm. have Christ who is the ultimate, had paid the ultimate price, but then we have Job and we measure all of our suffering. So he is almost the exemplar of, what do we do when we suffer? And I think that there's something in there for everyone because everyone has experienced trials.
0: As we go into reading the book of Job, uh, what do we know about him?
4: I love the contrast that we see with the transition of his friends. Mm. Um, So I think it's interesting that it it is Job's interaction with other people because a lot of times those scriptures, we will have these interactions with people and God, and there is some of that, but a lot of this is a conversation between Job and his friends, Mm -hmm. and I think how that plays out is really interesting. In the third chapter is one of the things that really stands out to me. It's this part where Job, his friends have come and sat with him, and then he began with this cursing of, curse the day that I was ever born, and on and on and on, and then he ends with, it would be better for him if he could go into the grave and that it would be dark, basically putting him out of his misery. The part that I really loved in this is, For the thing which I greatly feared, it cometh upon me. That which I was afraid of is come unto me. Job is expressing this piece of fear of all those things that I lived in fear of have happened to me. His friends were fine sitting with him in silence until he opened his mouth and started to complain. And I think it's a little bit humorous that they're like, Well, now that you're complaining, then I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what I've been thinking maybe all along. So then he comes in and he says, but who can withhold himself from speaking? Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. The words have upholden him that was fallen, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It touches thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear? get such an interesting perspective to take that Job has helped and served and administered unto all of these people who had similar trials. And then when it happens to him, Is he able to receive help?
0: So we have you here for a specific reason. You've you've kind of been through some trials of your own. How do you relate on a more personal level to what Job has experienced and how has that affected you in your life?
4: That's a great question. Within the last year, we had several deaths in my family, and then I had a cancer diagnosis and treatment. So it's just been one thing after another. One of the things that I learned through these trials is having the humility to accept help, people to come and help me with my children, people to help with meals, people to help with um, funeral services. If I deny people the opportunity to help, then I'm also denying the Lord an opportunity to teach them to serve others and to gain a testimony of service. So I feel like there's this microchasm within Job of that. And that's one of the best lessons that I've learned.
0: Thank you for sharing that. So we had a question come in from one of our viewers, and I'd love to get your thoughts and thoughts from the audience on what they have to say.
4: Hi,
3: I'm Shirley from Taiwan. Life is full of challenges, and some people even have to face bigger and harder trials. How can we keep positive and faithful
4: like Prophet Joe? Thank you.
0: How can we stay positive and faithful through our trials?
4: For me, when I'm having a hard time, then I think, what can I do next? And some days it's, I'm going to get out of bed, and that, that's where I get. And then I try and include the Lord in each of those. Today I'm going to get out of bed. Today I'm going to get my kids ready, and I'm going to take them to school. And then when I've moved past that, then I think, okay, now we're going to do more. And I start adding things back to my plate. But if I am feeling overwhelmed, or I'm feeling stressed, or going through a trial, then I just scale it back and, um, and include the
0: Lord. I love that. Thank you. Rene.
5: I think for me, it came down to having that solid relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ before the trials came. I remember one time I lost my job, and after a small pity party, I did what I should do, and I prayed. And the answer I got was, you'll be okay. He didn't tell me this is what I'm gonna do. He didn't tell me how long it would last. It was six long, hard months. But he said you would be okay, so I knew he keeps his promises. So I did what I was supposed to do. Go to church, read my scriptures, attend the temple, and try to do my best to help others. And that, for me, really helped me. It gave me the strength. But it also changed my perspective instead of thinking of them as trials, because at the end I was blessed, thinking of more as going through a construction zone for blessings.
0: What are some of the blessings that you have received by going through some of those trials?
5: One of the best, I think, is having empathy for others. Mm. Struggling means I know how to be there for others when they struggle. I know what I needed the help I needed, the strength I needed, the words I needed, so then when someone else is struggling, I know, oh, this is how I can help you. This is how I can help you through it as well.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Any other comments or questions? Avery?
2: Um, I believe that everybody's testimony fluctuates, and whenever I'm at one of my, like, lows in my testimony, I— try to focus on things that are coming up in my future when I'm going through trials. And a lot of them come from school just because it's difficult. So I try to focus on the future and I try to focus on my friends or just like doing things that make me happy so that I can get through trials even though they are overwhelming my mind. If I can take my mind off of them for just a little bit to like read or something, it helps a lot.
0: That's a great thought. And, and Avery, how do you? I'm 16. 16. What a valuable lesson to learn at such a young age. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, What else do we know as far as Job? Any details that we need to to understand uh, as we go in and study this story from him?
3: And Job is someone who doesn't take this unfairness lying down. I think you can fairly say when we read Job's speeches in the Book of Mm -hmm. Job, he is infuriated by the unfairness. Job says over and over again, I haven't done anything to deserve this. Um, Job is not just saying like, okay, you must be right. There must be something that's wrong with me. Maybe I've done something bad and this is just my just reward for that. Job's like, no, I know right and wrong and I haven't done the wrong stuff. He says, I wish I could take you to court, God, and I could then lay out my case. You would stop bullying me. It would be more fair and it would be seen that I have been righteous. Um, So he says this over and over again and his friends are the ones who have a, what we would call a prosperity gospel mindset. They say, no, no, no. Um, we all know that the righteous prosper and the wicked fail. Therefore, you must be wicked. Mm. You know, if you were following the commandments, if you were more reverent, if you are not, you know, saying the wrong things, you would be fine. But clearly this has happened to you. Therefore, something must be wrong with you. You need to repent. And over and over again, Job says, no.
0: Yeah, and it's very applicable, very well-known story. And I'd love to get some thoughts from the audience. Here you have this person who is described as such a good, righteous, perfect person. Yet he, all these things happen to him. How does that connect with you on a personal level,
2: Frank? You know, Job is not doing things that are creating his problems. Uh, his problems exist because he exists in the world where there are problems, and and it's easy sometimes to for me to get caught up in looking for I'll see trial. I'll see hardship and I'll go, oh, you know, that's what you get, you know. And now here you learn the lesson you have to endure to get to the end of this thing and be recovered. So he consistently grows and remains content in Christ or in God. And that, to me, is the thing that, that is most moving, right? I recognize that and I say, this is the thing that I ought to do. But once I started doing that, yeah, all these trials are still here, but I can smile in the face of them. How does
0: the Holy Ghost help you manage those things so that you can keep your testimony strong?
2: Uh, Reminders is like one of the first things I get from the Holy Ghost. I get little reminders of, oh, hey, this. And they're real gentle, they're real subtle. If I'm listening and I just abide in it as it comes, those small promptings, um, it builds up and it, it gets consistently easier.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's great insight.
3: What's really interesting to me is how um, Job goes beyond this question of um, our individual trials. Like, we we know that, you know, bodies get unhealthy and that there's natural disasters and things like that. Um, In chapter 12, Job talks about how it's not just, Job is not the only kind of person who experiences suffering in the universe. he says how God has power, so much power, yet God allows things to go so badly wrong uh, in naturally, in natural disasters, and also in human agency. He says, you know, everyone knows the Lord is powerful. Lord has made all flesh. But then in 14, he says, why he destroys and there is no rebuilding, closes in on a man, leaves no opening, why he holds back the waters and they dry up, sends them forth and they turn the earth over. So he's talking about you know, drought, about flood, about these things that, that afflict us. And then he talks about um, 17 through 21, how those who should exercise wisdom are deprived of it. Um, how God allows people in authority to not be trustworthy. He says, he leads counselors astray and judges he drives to madness. He undoes a sash of kings and binds a loincloth round their waist. He leads priests astray, the mighty he misleads. He takes away speech from the trustworthy and sense from the others he takes he pours forth scorn on princes, and the belt of the nobles he slackens. So there's all these things that are broken with the world, um, that they go far beyond our individual trials, and it, it profoundly calls into question God's justice, uh, God's power. And um, in Elder Renland's talk and in other people's, uh, the, in the talks of other gospel leaders, we, we have kind of answers to these uh, big problems.
4: I also think, It's interesting on that where they go back and forth of that which is most important to the person being tried is taken away. And I think that that speaks back to what the Lord does with us is that he tries us and he tests us. My cancer isn't the same as yours. And my experience, we have these connections, but it will be very unique so that we can learn what we need to learn. Each of our trials are uniquely ours. And if we embrace it in the way that um, we can best learn from it, and that's the approach, then we start on this path to becoming more like Christ and to becoming who the Lord wants us to be.
3: When you look at this big world um, and the images that God gives of a world of so much beauty, also terror, also violence. So the kind of impression we get from God's answer to Job, when Job is like, why? (laughs) You know, God says, the world is big and it's messy and things happen. And uh, you, you kind of get that impression. And, and then God, Job says, you know, you're right. And this makes me, I think, I think Job says, this makes me feel a little bit better. I can handle this a little bit better. And then in the end, God says, you know, Job, you are fine. I did not punish you because of anything. It was, it was just, um, this just how the world is. And, um, and I think that that helps us to think about trials. Mm-hmm. Right? I also don't think God gives people, you know, like the death of a loved one, gives people cancer, gives people chronic illness, gives people you know, depression. Um, I think the, the, the world is created in a way to challenge us and to, and to have things that are valuable.
0: I have a brother who actually used to be a gold miner in Africa, and he would show us this, the process of refining gold. And they would take this big old chunk from the earth of gold filled with all these impurities, and they would heat it up, melt it down, burn away all, everything, you know, that didn't belong. And then you'd have this nice, Pure chunk of gold, um, and so it's it's an easy way to relate to this story. And I, I'd love to hear from both of you uh, through the trials that you have experienced. How have you uh, been refined to become as gold through those pro- through that process?
4: I feel like for me, it's taking the lessons of really compassion. I feel like that's understanding where people are coming from and being able to be in that place where I can feel what you feel and showing empathy that I, through trials, have become a much more empathetic person and seeing where other people are struggling and being more in tune to where other people might be struggling. And I would not trade any of that for less empathy. And I feel like I'm, although I will never be grateful for cancer, I am grateful for the lessons that I've learned and hopefully the person that I have become through having these experiences for the last year.
3: I remember earlier you said how, you know, how God gives us trials, but you, what I just heard now is you don't think God has like, given you cancer.
4: Oh, no, 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 no. And I, and I think that's one of an interesting running commentary with Job also, is that was, was God telling Satan that he can go and tempt Job? And I think there's that running commentary. Are we allowed to suffer? Are we given these trials? And I don't think so. This is part of the human experience. It's part of what happens in life, and it's what we do with that that is our opportunity to see it as a trial and to engage the Lord in who we become through that. In the April 2021 conference, President Nelson was addressing everyone. And I love this quote that he says, if you have responded to your trials with a stronger discipleship, this past year will not have been in vain. And I love that because I feel like it's applicable for every year. It reminds me of this quote by
3: Orson F. Whitney, um, which talks about not wasting things. So maybe they're not gifts, but they're valuable, our trials, and we shouldn't waste them. Orson F. Whitney says, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation that we gain the education that we come here to acquire and which will make us more like our father and mother in heaven.
0: I love seeing how, how positive uh, you guys are. And even comments from, from the audience, as we go through this process, as the Lord tries us, we do you know, come through as gold. Uh, as Joseph Smith said God has said that he would have a tried people, that he would purge them as gold. And I think this has been a great discussion, and I'm looking forward to footnotes where we can talk about uh, the story of Job a little bit more. Uh, But this will wrap up the first topic. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. One
4: of the lessons I've learned through my own trials in life is mourning with those that mourn. And what I've learned is that you can't take the trial away from them but what you can provide is love and support. The compassion that I gain
1: through going through hard things and then understanding that other people are going through hard things, that gives me a sense of compassion for other people. And then I begin to understand the love and compassion that the Savior and our Heavenly Father have for us too.
0: So our second topic for this discussion is our covenant to mourn, which you know we all are familiar with the Book of Mormon. The waters of Mormon, as they are getting baptized, um, they are making this covenant to mourn with those that mourn. Now we see a contrast here with Job. Uh, Melissa, do you want to give us a little bit of a, a kind of a background on how is Job being treated as he's going through all this suffering by those that are closest to him?
3: Well, as Tracy pointed out in the frame story, they do a great job, right? They sit in the desk with him for seven days mm-hmm. in, in mourning and silence. Um, But in the poetry part, they're always lecturing him, your evil is great, there is no end to your crimes. They say, you know, because you're um, suffering, you must have done all these bad things. And if you just go back to God, then everything will be good for you.
0: I'm sure that's very comforting when you're going through a trial. It's like, what what did you do wrong? Right, Yeah.
4: not like people don't ask themselves that question. Right, absolutely. Did you say like, what did I do? Why, at some point, if it's enough of them, you're like, wait a second, maybe I'm supposed to learn something from this and there's something coming for a reason.
0: So I'm sure from, from your experience and some of the trials that you've been through that there, there are wrong things that we can say, am I right? When it comes to trying to give comfort. Are there, like how do we avoid saying the wrong thing as we are trying to help those that are suffering as Job is and what his friends do is clearly not productive. It's not helping him out. So what are some things that we can do in a more practical way to help those that are suffering?
4: So a few years ago, one of my dear friends lost uh, her toddler, was killed in an accident. And I wanted to go and be with her. I wanted to call her. I wanted to check in and see how things were going and let her know that she was loved and that I was thinking about her. And I stayed back and um, did more behind the scenes of let's help plan the funeral, let's get all the flowers arranged, let's do these things. And I was very much in the logistics of it. And looking back on it now, I really regret that I didn't just reach out. I feel like the biggest mistake is not reaching out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you can go wrong many more ways that way than you do, I said the wrong thing. Or just showing up and saying, I don't know what to say, but he said, I love this example of his friends, they sat with him and they didn't say anything. And I think that that's okay.
0: So Melissa, how do we mourn with others?
4: It's super tricky because I'm not really
3: good with the right words either. Um, And I think what Tracy said is so important. If If you don't know what to say, you can just say, I don't know what to say. I love you and I care about you. Yeah. And you don't have to, you know, fight, try to, because we always want to say things that will fix things. Yes. Right, like, I'm going to provide a quote for you, or, you know, <laughs> let me read you a scripture. <laughs> or, yeah, but, but just, yeah, just saying, I don't know what to say. You know, words fail us, and in those moments we can just acknowledge that and say, I, I love you and I care for you. And, and I guess the other thing is don't say, um, please let me know what I can do. Like, that's like so much work to like, okay, what can I like, yeah, and then it feels weird. But if you just like
4: think of something that you can do and then just do the thing. That's, I think that's right. Easier. I feel like um, when I was going through my cancer treatment, I was in bed a lot. And they had brought in a recliner and sat it in our bedroom. I loved having that seat in my room because I had people who would come over and just sit with me. And I feel like um, that's one of the lessons we can learn. If we just stick to the front part of Job, this is the example, this is how you do it. Forget the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> not the, This is what not to do. Right. Pass that. But chapter two nails it.
0: Well, thank you so much. I'd love to hear from the audience. Uh, what are some things that uh, you have learned through experience on how to mourn with those that mourn? Let's go to uh, Anna Marie.
3: One thing that I've tried to do that I didn't before is when someone is mourning, um, I notice everyone kind of just jumps in at the same time. And... I I kind of step back and wait till the dust is cleared and then go to them because sometimes they're just like, wait, where did everybody go? And so I think that might be an important point to remember.
0: Yeah, how do you feel like that has affected the person who is going through a trial as you've kind of waited back to let the dust settle?
3: Um, I'm actually, well, for them, I think they're they're surprised. Um, I've experienced it personally where people have, you know, just disappeared and then someone's come and I've been very grateful that I'm not forgotten and that I've, this someone realizes I still need some
0: emotional comfort and support. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Yayoi.
6: Um I think we usually learn from what we've done, what we haven't done. And I, like Tracy and Melissa, also had a cancer diagnosis in the middle of something when I was going through something already very challenging. And I remember thinking, you don't know that I already have stuff going on and now this? And then when I was kind of um, on the way to recovery, something even more challenging happened. And I thought, OK. Then I'm pouring some suggestions of maybe what I might have done wrong, what I should do. And lots of things came my way. And I knew that it all came from a good place. They wanted to help me. They wanted to encourage me. They maybe wanted to put me on the right path. But at the time, I didn't have the emotional capacity to take it in as a positive thing all the time because it's too much. And so that taught me how I should probably approach when someone else is going
0: through things. You know, it's interesting. Um, so when I was a kid, when I was 11, my, my dad passed away. And uh, it was at the end of my sixth grade year. And, and it's been, you know, I'm in my 40s now. And so it's been a long time, over 30 years. And I remember the first day I went back to school after it happened. And it was really awkward because all the kids knew. I remember walking across the basketball court and uh, my friend Bobby, he saw me and all he did, he just looked at me and just, I mean, beeline straight for me. And he just walked up to me and gave me the biggest hug. And that was it. And I've never forgotten that over 30 years later. And we see that when people suffer and they go through things, there is, we have to be very careful because he can have a lasting impact on how they are dealing with the trauma, the experience that they're going through.
4: One of the ways that I have found that I know that God knows me and He knows me intimately and He knows me personally and everything that I'm going through. It's manifest by the people He puts in my path. I have been astounded at the number of people who've showed up at the exact moment that I needed, right with exactly what I needed. And that's a huge testimony to me, not just of the value of friendship, but of the value of a loving God who knows me and knows what I need. I think this is tricky.
3: It's hard for us to remember this, especially when someone's undergoing a a form of suffering that we have not experienced. Um, For example, I'm thinking about um, racism. Uh, In the Church of Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ of Latter-day Saints, with our history, I have a completely different experience than a member of the church who's black. Completely different experience. People will say, um, you know, I talk about my experience of being discriminated against, and my friends, Job-like friends will say, oh, you're just being offended, or oh, don't be so sensitive, or oh, that's just your politics. Um, if only you had the correct politics, you know, or oh, your, your suffering doesn't actually exist, it's all in your head. That's like a Job friend approach, where you just kind of criticize the person who's suffering because you don't, you're not there with them. You don't trust their suffering, right? right. Job's friends didn't trust that he was suffering because he was suffering. They thought he was suffering because he was being punished. Mm-hmm. If we want to be disciples of Christ, who, who was there for people, and who was that person who responded to suffering. And we have to be less worried about our own comfort, our own comfort levels, what we you know, our own personal ideas about the world, and we have to listen to the people who are suffering and make their suffering less.
4: I also liked in the doctrine of covenants it's interesting this is one of my favorite sections my son peace be unto thy soul thine adversity and affliction shall be but a small moment and then if thou endure it well god shall exalt thee on high and thou shalt triumph over all thy foes thy friends do stand by thee and they shall hail thee with warm hearts and friendly hands and i think if you want guiding guidance on what to do are you approaching it with a warm heart and with friendly hands
0: Tracy, do you have a specific friend that, you, that has helped you go through some of the things you've, you've experienced?
4: One experience that is just illustrative of the kind and wonderful friends that I have. Um, when my dad died, I was just I was a mess and, um, and was in the middle of cancer treatment. And his funeral was at Arlington Cemetery. And so I wanted to wear a nice dress. So I had two seconds to order, and I ordered something. And this sounds really um, first-worldly issue, but it was the moment for me. And um, the dress came at 11 o'clock the night before the funeral, and it didn't fit. So I had um, dear, dear friends that went the moment that the stores opened, ran through as fast as they could, (laughs) came back to my house, and um, within 30 minutes, because I had to leave 10 minutes later, threw on dresses, found something that worked, and I went to the funeral service at Arlington. And it was just one of those things of, it wasn't a quote or a scripture, it was just, what do you need? And counted among my best friends is my husband, who has just been phenomenal through everything. He is my rock and um, carries our whole family through. So I'm grateful for him.
0: Melissa, what final thoughts can you give us as we wrap up this discussion on Job?
4: Well, I guess I'd say
3: most of our discussions here have been talking about our kind of personal experiences of suffering, things that have come into our own lives. And I really like what Sharon Eubank says about our kind of general, overall posture towards suffering as Latter-day Saints. She, as you know, is not only in the General Relief Society presidency, but she heads our humanitarian work Mm. around the world and has tremendous experience and competence there. She says, the Church of Jesus Christ is under the divine mandate to care for the poor. It is one of the pillars of the work of salvation and exaltation. What was true during the days of Alma is certainly true for us, and thus, in their prosperous circumstances, they did not send away any who were naked or that were hungry or that were athirst, or that were sick, or that had not been nourished, and they did not set their hearts upon riches. Therefore they were liberal to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, whether out of the church or in the church, having no respect to persons as to those who stood in need. And so from Sister Eubank, I hear this kind of general call to us as Latter-day Saints. When we make our covenant to mourn with those that mourn, we're, I think we're explicitly making a covenant to, to the to fellow Latter-day Saints. Um, But I think we're also making a broader covenant to the children of God. And the work of the humanitarian services of the church and the work of each individual unit of the church is to be a light in our communities, to alleviate suffering, to find the problems that are most poignant and that hurt people the most and respond to those. And I think that's our call. And we have an obligation there to our fellow children of God.
0: Well, thank you very much. I'm excited to get into footnotes. We can talk about some pretty amazing Latter day Saints and their Job like experiences. So, thank you both for your comments and for you as well on our second topic of our covenant to mourn.
1: I've learned more about mourning with those who mourn today. All of our friends will go through mourning times, just as everyone on earth will. And I can be a better friend when my other friends are having a hard time. I can be more conscious of their hard time and try to be more considerate and compassionate.
2: We all have a, a role to play in mourning and in dealing with trauma and grief and uh, there's a there's a correct way to do that for each of us and and that is to draw close unto the Lord.
0: Welcome everyone to come follow up footnotes. Uh, we're glad to welcome another guest to the panel, uh, Brett Bocut. Welcome, Brett. Thank you. Brett, do you mind introducing yourself and just telling us uh, as far as your professional career, um, what do you do and um, your schooling, et cetera?
7: I teach seminary full-time. I'm a principal up in Layton, Utah at Northridge High School. And I've been doing it for almost 30 years. I'm an old man. Wow, that's great. I, and... Uh, Tell us, where
0: did you go to school? Uh, What did you study?
7: My dissertation work was with desperately at-risk youth and the kind of vulnerabilities that a teacher needs to have to have healthy relationships in a classroom with kids that are struggling.
0: Now, as somebody who works specifically with youth, uh, what are some of the things that you see that they currently struggle with that relates
7: to, to what we are going to discuss in the book of Job? One of the most troubling things, I think, is that the youth today are swimming in trouble. There's a rising sea of filth. That's Elder Iring's language. Uh, for example, in a, an abnormal two-week period, I walked 10 young ladies to the counseling office for suicidal ideation. Some of those were much more serious than others, of course. But these kids are besought on every side by trouble. Elder Ballard recently said, um, gone are the days when a student asked an honest question and a teacher responded, don't worry about it. Gone are the days when a student raised a sincere concern and a teacher bore his or her testimony as a response intended to avoid the issue. There's been too much of that, hasn't Mm -hmm. there? He goes on, gone are the days when students were protected from people who attacked the church. This is especially applicable today because not all of your students have the faith necessary to face the challenges ahead, and because many of them are already exposed through the Internet to corrosive forces of an increasingly secular world that is hostile to faith, family, and gospel standards. He adds a little bit later that not only are our children exposed to misinformation, but pornography, Mm -hmm. and so they, they don't always come to us as pure as we hope they would.
0: When we look at some of these things that are happening in the scriptures, you know, it's it's easy to say, well, that was their time. It's a little bit different. But we live in, in very trying times as well. Just different circumstances. The beautiful things about the book of Job is that it is so relatable. Did you, did you two, you know, see that in your, going through your experiences of asking questions? And this constant, like, why is this happening to me? You know,
4: I feel like, even outside of trials and outside of tests, I feel like these questions are part of a growing testimony. So if you're stagnant and you just know what you know and you stay where you are, I feel like you're not moving forward. Hmm. And I feel like questions and really searching those answers and knowing where to go to find those answers is part of expanding your testimony. So I feel like it's a natural part, it's just how do you do it? Um, Do you go to the right places? Are you looking with a sincere heart? And I feel like that's a natural part is to ask these questions.
7: I couldn't agree more with Tracy about the crucial nature of questions. In fact, um, there's a Christian educator named Parker Palmer who said something I just love. He said, we should live with infinite suspicions, Hmm. but be able to make absolute commitments. Now, I think suspicions is probably a little dark. But if uh, we all have infinite questions, if we can live in this world with infinite, in, an infinity of questions and still be absolutely committed, it's a lovely place to be. And people, all of us feel that way, you know? So to embrace the questions of the world and to be honest and um, faithful about it is a sweet thing. Now, the kids, because of this wilderness of apostasy they're living in, um, their heads are full of questions. Some of it because of the misinformation that's so easy to come by in the age of information. What are some of the questions? Pick a scary one. Race and the priesthood, plural marriage, Joseph Smith's uh, wives, his, uh, maybe some of the foibles of his nature or weaknesses. I've probably read about as much as most of those kids about things that may seem scary, and it's not. The kids, the kids want a straight answer, they want it undiluted, they want it from a source they know they can trust, which is not Brett Bocut. It's a mistake to teach a person how the Holy Ghost will speak to them, while there may be similarities in how he responds to us and how we experience the Holy Ghost. I love that God has personalized, individualized revelation, it's different for everybody. If I stand between a child and Heavenly Father, I'm standing on really unholy ground. So our job is to love them enough to help them embrace this and then get out of the way and help them to know how the Holy Spirit works so he can work with them.
4: As an adult, youth aside, like let's have more of those conversations and have it be a safe place. I like in Job where it's in 38, 19, it says, where is the way where light dwelleth? And I think you have to go through those questions and be open with them to find where where is the light and that there will be and have that faith that there will be, but let's create a safe place for people to ask those questions, but then also pointing to what's the good source to find it that it doesn't become
7: you. I just, I just, it's easy. I just send, we go to the scriptures and we go to the church website and we look at what's been said and there's just this amazing safety. In but the, going to those trusted sources, by the
3: church website, I think you mean like, for example, the history department's website, and also the gospel topics essays. Yeah,
7: all of that yeah, stuff. Those
3: are super important. But those essays have been vetted by the every top leader in the church, and they they kind of really carefully deal with difficult questions. The kinds of like the hardest questions there are have been addressed by those essays. So, I think in the same CES address where you were quoting Elder Ballard, that's where he said that people who work with youth and teach youth should know those essays like the back of their hands.
7: Yes, he mm-hmm. did. Yeah. And I don't, but I'm trying.
0: <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. So Brett, I'm curious as, you're, as you were talking, you know, working with youth and trying to help them navigate through a lot of their questions. I don't know if you're like me or not, but sometimes I'm so focused on helping them that I, I don't want to say I don't know what to do when I'm in that situation myself, but do you ever sit back and think, wait, would I really answer this question the way I'm telling my student to do that? So what's that process been like for you as you have your own personal questions? Is there a specific example where you have really struggled with a question and had that wrestle before coming to a conclusion?
7: Uh, how much time have you got? <laughs> there are so many questions, aren't there? We've wrestled, some, sometimes a question will bother me, so I'll work on it. And when it's not, I, sometimes I do anyway. But if you're asking how I help a child or if I have paused in the middle of a discussion about a question with a child and thought, I'm not being fair, the answer is yes, a lot of times. I, I think one thing that has blessed me is Elder Bednar's, teaching us to really listen carefully and to ask follow-up questions and to think, where is the question coming from? I'll say that to the students. I'll say, is there something behind that? Is there another question that brought you to this mm-hmm. question? And is this really the question? If we do those kinds of things, I, help, I think it helps slow an answerer down. And I <laughs> think when an answerer slows down, Heavenly Father can say, hey, Brett, pipe down please be quiet. I have an answer. She's actually receiving it, so be quiet. You know, that kind of thing is so important as we listen with empathy.
4: Well, I feel like as a parent, I would like the same seminary teacher training (laughs) so that I can answer the questions in my house. I do. I feel like um, sometimes we're uncomfortable with I don't knows. And um, I know as a parent, because I want to help my children to get those testimonies and to be able to feel the spirit, um, that I feel like I'm oftentimes just trying to get them there rather than being quiet, stepping back and letting them get there. Like being more of mm-hmm. a guide than it is like a director. And so I appreciate that of just that quietness and listening to the spirit and um, allowing for those questions to, to sit where they are.
7: I had people when I was a brand new seminary teacher bring me a lot of things to read. And I was excited. It was stuff that's not easy to find. And I started digging in it, and then I prayed over it once. And I think, I, I want to blame God for this, but I think the Holy Spirit said, if you'll wait to study those things until somebody I've given you jurisdiction over, um, then we can learn it together, mm-hmm. and it'll be more powerful. That, now, that's not for everybody. But for Brett Bocut in my ministry, I've chosen to wait until someone needs me to know before I go digging.
0: Uh, to go back to you know Job and his experience, what I find interesting is we have this narrative of God talking to Satan and and they're, they're talking about Job and uh, you know Job is this great guy and he's like oh yeah we'll take that stuff away and let's see what happens you know and sometimes it's it's easy to be faithful it's easy to pray and to pay your tithing or whatever it is when life is good. But we see with Joe, things start to turn south. And, and we really, with, the, with a lot of the youth today and a lot of things they're experiencing, it's when those, I imagine those questions come up when something happens in their life. You know, maybe it has to do with, with suicide or death or, um, you know, a loss of some sort or just a struggle or a trial they're going with. Um, so how do we strengthen the kids today um, to be able to, to be able to feel the Holy Ghost when they need it and, and their manner to when they're going through a trial, which they will, how do we help strengthen them to be able to make it through and stay faithful during these times of trouble?
3: I think one thing we can do is not artificially give them an expectation that everything will be easy, that there'll be answers for everything. And that all people in our history and our structures are always perfect. That's just not how history works. Um, because that's not how people work. And when you look at the history of our church, we see real people. And, and I think that's um, a mistake that we can make. But if we just tell too many stories that kind of always tie up nicely, um, that always assume that because someone was in a position of authority, it means that they could never, ever, ever make a mistake or they have no human you know, failings at all, then that just sets them up to be completely disillusioned when they read history and they find that, alas, you know, people in church history are real people.
4: But I think that's true. Like, where, if you do, if you are vulnerable as parents and just say, I had questions too, but walk them through, this is what I did to get to the answers and show them the path. Like, I'm not going to find answers for all of your questions, but I can tell you the path that I took for the questions that I have. Because I really do, I have sincere questions still. And if I'm honest about that with my kids and tell them I have questions too, and I'm faithful and I have a testimony and I'm still looking for more answers. I think you have to validate where they are mm-hmm. and that they do have questions and, say, and, that's, and just normalize it. It's also an iterative process that yeah. you're gonna get through that question. And guess what? There's gonna be another question around the corner. And so just knowing this, you just need to learn what is the path to get to the answer because you're going to keep repeating it.
7: Elder Bednar does something amazing with what you just said. <clears throat> He talks about how critical it is to really listen and to listen long enough and deep enough that we start to have genuine empathy and we get the spirit of discernment to help us discern actually what they're asking. Mm -hmm. You said in er the earlier part of this, Melissa, that when a person's suffering, we shouldn't try to fix their problems. That's true with questions. We Mm -hmm. We must listen so well that we know what's actually being asked and then point them to God. Chad Webb said that this way. He said, the research shows that those who are struggling with faith are not generally stepping away because of doctrine. They're stepping away because they're asking their questions in the context of some personal experience that causes them to see these issues through a certain set of lenses, Mm -hmm. often through the lenses of not fitting in or through heartbreak or unmet expectations. That's what Job is going through. This this." unmet expectation because he got used to something, right? He goes on, if we answer their questions without empathy, without understanding the context, we may not provide the help they need. Even worse, if we're dismissive, just judgmental or defensive, or I would add, too quick to answer, we will lose their trust and the opportunity to have a positive influence in their lives.
0: I like that. You know, as as seminary teachers, you and I both have been trained in helping them to see the, the eternal perspective of things. Um, how do you feel like that helps um, answer these questions by taking a step back and looking at it from the eternal perspective?
7: Because we're up to our necks in the physical mortal world, it's, it's a little tough sometimes in the emotion of the moment to do what you've just mm. suggested we do. But we must back up and keep that eternal perspective. Continue to act in faith, doubt our doubts more than we doubt our faith, to think big picture, which is eternal, right?
3: We can also just take a slightly smaller perspective, which is a global perspective.
7: Mm.
3: Um, so often the questions that we ask are really specific to the socioeconomic group, the nation, the, even the neighborhood sometimes that Proximate we live in.
7: Problems. Yeah. right? Wow.
3: And, and, and like the, the conversations that people are having, our circle is having on social media, which is really different from you know, what other Latter-day Saints around the world are dealing with or what other people around the world are dealing with. And I've found that just for myself, when I'm thinking about um, a question that is difficult for me, something that troubles me, one thing that is always really refreshing is looking at a global picture. And I think this happens in, in the book of Job, you know, when the... When God Answers Job from the Whirlwind. It says, um, The Lord answered Job from the Whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel in words without knowledge? Gird your loins like a man that I may ask you, and you can inform me. Where were you when I founded earth? Tell if you know understanding. Who fixed its measures, do you know? Or who stretched a line upon it? In what were its sockets sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? The whole point is to give Job the big picture just on earth. Of, of how big God's creation is and also how complex. But when you look at the experiences of Latter-day Saints around the world, we see how Latter-day Saints around the world face many different problems and and, and problems that are quite dire. So for example, there's a woman um, that we talk about in the Global Histories on the church website where you can find histories of, of Latter-day Saints everywhere and I highly recommend them. Um, but one of them is by a woman named Agnes um, Tuagira Maria and she was a... Um, a teenager in Rwanda during the Rwandan genocide. And she witnessed before her eyes um, a neighbor kill her two parents, four of her siblings, and many members of her extended family. And this was just devastating for her. And um, for a long time while she was at university, she just didn't know where to turn. But eventually her cousin Yvonne uh, was a member of of our church and she started going to church. And, And slowly through kind of being acquainted with the gospel, and beginning to live that gospel life in this beautiful community, she began to um, be able to forgive the people who had done this horrible thing to her family. And that kind of a problem, and that kind of an overcoming of a problem is on a completely different magnitude than the problems that I have when I'm angry about, I don't know, like patriarchy.
7: There's a lady named Jane Marshevsky who got a lot of attention For a song she sang on america's got talent she's in the middle of a terrible battle with cancer um, in my ministry people i've known who have suffered most deeply uh, now this is certainly not universal but bathrooms in a home are a place where people go when they need to be alone Mm. right because you can lock the door right and there's some cultural inhibitions about entering there right She writes a a blog called God is on the Bathroom Floor. I know a bunch of people, a bunch isn't a big number, who've been wrestling with desperate depression or psychological issues or cancer or whatever, who met God in the bathroom. She says this, Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me also among the friends of God, for I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout, quote, I am sad too. At the end of that, she says, I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path. Each night, every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven, right? So in this in this desperate place, which others on this panel know better than I, um, the most amazing things come, right? Heavenly Father is a believer in trouble and what it can do for us if we embrace it, when we embrace it.
3: I think another thing that we haven't talked about about the kinds of trials that we experience. Sometimes we experience trials um, like uh, that that feel shameful, if it's mental illness or if it's a faith crisis. Like we talk about, there's shame in the Job story too. He's covered with disfiguring scars. He's like so disfigured that his friends don't recognize him. He's um, he's so itchy. He's scraping his face with shards of pottery to 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 itch himself, and um, it says he he had this grievous burning rash from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. It says, um, he says in verse um, 17 of chapter 19, my breath became strange to my wife. I repelled my very own children. So this is a whole other element. When we have trials that we feel are shameful, it's so hard for us to seek help. And, um, mm-hmm. and it feels so lonely. Yeah,
0: thank you for sharing that. Other thoughts or insights from anything from what we've discussed or read from the book of Job?
3: Well, what Tracy and Brett have said has made me think that often um, one of the kind of, like it's easy to talk about physical suffering and just like, oh no, you've got cancer, that's so horrible. Um, but sometimes when people have faith crises, they feel isolated, right? And they're afraid to talk about it because they're afraid that they'll be um, seen as you know, unfaithful or not mature or you know, not committed or whatever. And that's a super painful place too. And, and like, you know, we can think about the image of, of the friends who did the right thing and the prose framing mm-hmm. of the story, like just going and sitting with that person and just kind of mourning with them. It, it's devastating when people lose their faith or when people feel like their faith might be lost. It's a, it's a devastating feeling because our whole worldview, our whole kind of family system, our whole culture um, in so many ways is, is tied to this, this set of beliefs within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So you know, for people who are experiencing a faith crisis, um, like you both said, it's not just about the questions, it's about the trust that, 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 um, is, that people feel is shaken. And um, I think it's, it's so helpful uh, and probably even more helpful than just kind of Googling answers and, and looking things up to respond to them. It's just so helpful to just sit with them and, and mm-hmm. mourn with them and say, you know, I love you and it's okay. To be, to be feeling rotten. I, I know how it can feel rotten.
7: That's amazing. I,
4: I also think um, what Melissa was saying about how it's easy when you see the physical suffering to say, oh, I have cancer and I get a lot of empathy and sympathy and I'm so sorry, and how can we take care of you? That there's this other side to it where um, there's the, the anxiety and then there's the depression which no one can see, you know, in the quiet heart is hidden sorrow that the eye can't see. Mm. There's that piece of it, and I think within Our faith I think we often feel that if we're doing the right thing if we're praying if we're reading our scriptures if we're going to church and we're doing all of those list things then why do we feel like this that we should be happier than that and so I love that part of Job that it just it allows you to be real and human and be faithful
0: thank you so much what a beautiful way to wrap up this episode and this discussion as we've talked about our first topic when he hath tried me I shall come forth as gold And our second topic, our covenant to mourn. Thank you all for joining us for another episode. We want to invite you and encourage you to follow any prompting that you may have received throughout our discussion. Please join us next week for another episode of Come Follow Up.
6: Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.